0: There's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time.
1: They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape.
0: Good evening, listeners.
1: Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. It is Sunday, February 2nd, and you're tuned into 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It is time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Daniel Watkins.
0: And I'm Kayla Delventhal. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, Check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our up-and-coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages and podcast.
1: Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and any opinions expressed on the show belong to the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight, we're jo- joined by Sofia Yusova from the Department of Microbiology. Welcome, Sofia. Hey. Sophia studies a particular creature that is native to the Northwest and has kind of a um, hard-to-remember name, but I just mm-hmm. go by C. Shasta. Could you tell me the full name of it? C.
2: <laughs> Shasta.
1: Sounds very cool when you say it. <laughs> um, very science So C. Shasta is a pathogen. A, um, or That might be the wrong word. Is that a fair thing to say with a parasite? It's something that gives... Salmon and trout, a hard Uh, time?
2: A pathogen that, like, uh, infects something and uh, causes some kind of disease or death. So, yeah, you can call it a pathogen. But it is a zone parasite. So uh, it's a multicellular parasite.
1: And it's particularly important in the Pacific Northwest because it affects one of our favorite species here, the salmon. Could you tell us a little bit about... Uh, what role sea shasta plays in the health of salmon in this area?
2: So, yeah, sea um, shasta is found only in, on the Pacific Northwest and uh, um, is spread from Alaska to California pretty much. Um, it causes anterine necrosis in the salmonids, which is uh, Chinook salmon, coho, rainbow trout, and um necrosis is pretty much death of the intestine. So what happens is... Uh, cishasta um, spores enter the fish through the gills, uh, travel through blood into the intestine, and causes the uh, the disease. And then, uh, the with the progression of the disease, the fish dies, and uh, the spores gets released into the water. So, on a larger scale, what sort of impact does this
0: have, and who cares about this problem?
2: So. Um, Chinook salmon in particular has a huge economic and cultural impact on, uh, for example, tribes that live um, um, close to the rivers, for example, Yurok tribe in the Klamath River or Warm Springs tribes on the Deschutes River and uh, ODFW, uh, Fish and Wildlife, trying to uh, preserve the number of Chinook salmon because um, starting Sea was discovered around 1950 by Noble, and it seems to be the cause of the drastic decline in the Chinook Salmon uh, on the Pacific Northwest. So uh, people started to care, and uh, that's how we came to what we have now.
1: Yeah, There were a few events recently that especially prodded people to action. So there was a major die-off in the Klamath River about uh, 2006, however many years ago, that is, 14 years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, Klamath River is an area that your advisor has spent a lot of time working on. Is that correct?
2: Yes, uh, Klamath River is kind of a major river that uh, Jerry Bartholomew and uh, her lab concentrate on, especially in the recent events that uh, there will be a removal of the dams in uh, 20. 22, I believe, in January 2022. So we studied the effect of the dam removal on the distribution of si shasta and uh, how it's gonna ecologically impact the salmon of that river. So yeah, um, but it started off in around 2006 when there was a huge die-off of the fish. So people started asking questions like, what kind of pathogens f- affect those uh, species? So that's how we got the funding and started studying that river, and then. Um, some other examples are Willamette River and the Deschutes River where uh, the high concentration of sea shasta spores caused mortality in fish. So um, yeah, there are several rivers that um, are being monitored um, yearly. And so uh, your advisor or uh, professor that you work with, Jerry,
0: and I'm going to mm-hmm. do really bad at this last name, but Bartholomew. Um, so they found out something really important about the life cycle of this parasite, right? Yeah. Can you tell us about um, that?
2: Mixazone parasites in general have a complicated life cycle that involves two hosts, a vertebrate host, which is a fish, uh, salmonids, and invertebrate host, which is a freshwater worm. And uh, uh, Jerry discovered in 1997 that Sishasta uh, requires a polychaete freshwater worm for the uh, second host to complete the life cycle. So um, using that information, we were able to develop new techniques to monitor and control the distribution of c
1: Right. So the knowledge of how it progresses through a life cycle kind of allows you to see where hot spots would be, right? For where the parasite would be doing especially well and yeah. in turn the salmon would have an especially hard time.
2: Exactly. So what we usually do, um, we draw a life cycle because there are two stages of spores and two hosts that get infected by one of the other stage. And uh, next to each host and each stage, we write down how you can control this host or stage or how you can study it. So for example, um, by doing the fish exposures in the Klamath River, We find out how uh, fast or how much spores um, are needed to infect and cause mortality in fish. With polychaete host, polychaete worm host, uh, it's distributed widely. There could be up to 10,000 worms per meter square in the area. Yeah. So uh, by controlling the worm, you can control the amount of uh, spores in the water. We also do water sampling, which is pretty much... uh, taking a sample of water in the particular, particular site in the river and then uh, extract DNA and uh, quantify the amount of spores per liter. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, where in the process is this research?
0: Like, Has this information already been used um, and implemented for management strategies or is this just theoretical?
2: Oh, yeah. We work closely with both tribes and uh, ODFW and pretty much every week with when it comes to Klamath River, every week there is a conference that uh, we share our information with uh, um, the, uh, with the hatcheries or um, tribes that are uh, located on the Klamath River. And uh, we decide what kind of management uh, strategies we need to do to control. So it sounds
0: like this, this project is um, really involved. There's a lot of moving parts and collaboration.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah uh, our lab has a lot of, uh collaboration with, uh, tribes and, uh, ODFW and, uh, yeah.
1: So there seems to be a few factors in just the status of the river that can give you a clue of whether an intervention is needed. Could you talk through some of that and what, uh, a, a group like the tribes or the Department of Fish and Wildlife could do to address the, the issues?
2: So, um... A lot of funding comes from the tribes because uh, Chinook Salmon especially has a high cultural um, and economical value to them. ODFW works closely with all the hatcheries that are um, um, located in Oregon. So pretty much um, every other week, someone from the ODFW goes to a hatchery and uh, checks the fish for um, parasites, including sea shasta parasite and uh, decide what kind of strategy needs to be completed in order to um, preserve the fish species. So, um, yeah, monitoring happens like almost weekly, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, working with ODFW uh, helps us and them to stay on track and see how, like, what are the areas that we need to improve our research or what are the hot topics right now. So it sounds like this research is being
0: implemented in real time, right? But I know that your lab also is working on um, trying to think about the future, especially related to climate change, would you be able to talk a little bit about um, the research on that?
2: Yeah, um, as a master's student, my research concentrates on the climate change effects on the um, disease progression in the salmon. And uh, what we know so far is that um, in warmer temperatures, the development happens faster than in colder temperatures. And, uh, for example, in a hot year, uh, the release of spores happens earlier, which prolongs the exposure for shinok salmon, especially chinook salmon that uh, resides in the water during the summer, spring chinook salmon. And then... Um, um, the longer exposure results in the sever- more severity of the disease. And uh, what we also know is that polycute worms, on the other hand, um, don't like um, high discharge because they get uh, sworn uh, down the river. And uh, how climate change, uh, climate change affects the discharge is that uh, it lowers the snowpack during the winter And as a result, the discharge is lower. And as a result, we see uh, larger numbers of spores. For example, in 2019, this year, um, Deschutes River, we had a really high discharge. There was a flood in the lower Deschutes. I'm pretty sure uh, a lot of people heard about it. And uh, what I see with uh, water samples is that there is a really low number of Seashasta this year. For example, compared to 2015, when it was really warm year with a low discharge, and the number of spores per liter were up to 400, and uh, we need just 10 spores per liter to kill a chinook Salmon. So.
1: so it sounds like there's a couple different levels here. There's the essentially four stages of life, so the initial stage and then going into a worm— Going into a third stage and then going into the salmon. And the worm cares about one thing and the uh, the sea shasta cares about another thing. So the worm that wants to be able to stay in place in the on the maybe on the bottom of the river or just like in one location.
2: It resides in the sediment, usually okay. on the boulders under the water.
1: Mm-hmm. And so having the high discharge could dislodge yep, them. Exactly. And then there's nowhere for the parasite to Move on to its next yeah. stage.
2: So, like less polychaetes, uh, less sishasta, and uh, um, more polychaetes, more sishasta. Yeah, pretty much. Because what we see with spatial distribution, and spatial distribution is pretty much how along the river sishasta is distributed, is that uh, places with high polychaete densities have tend to have a high po- uh, high sishasta densities. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the uh, management ideas that uh, if we lower the number of polychids, we can lower the number of sea because we don't want to uh, kill the fish, you know. So like, how can we control it some other way?
1: So what role do dams play?
2: Um, so this might get a bit complicated. Mm-hmm. There are several genotypes of sea shasta and uh, um, there are three. And two of them are uh, result in the death of the fish And uh, these genotypes are distributed differently. So, for example, dam on the Klamath River and on the Deschutes River uh, doesn't allow genotype 1 to get to the other, uh, uh, like from upper to the lower. And the genotype 1 is the one that causes death in Chinook Salmon. So, for example, if we remove the dam, there's going to be a flow of uh, the uh, deadly genotype for Chinook Salmon. So it might uh, result in a death. So one of the things we study that we see, uh, whether or not there will be a large effect on the Chinook salmon if we remove the dam and let the genotype path. That's really interesting
0: because often uh, we hear about how dams might be disrupting ecosystems, but Mm -hmm. in in this case, it could actually have a a different impact where removing the dam um, would cause a lot of problems for the salmon industry, is that correct?
2: Exactly, that's uh, why we work right now um, on the report on Klamath River to uh, pretty much uh, try to decide whether it's a good thing or bad thing to remove the dam. So it's complicated when it comes to ecology.
1: Right, especially when ecology mixes with economy.
2: Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. A lot of money. And uh, the dam was there for, like, what, I don't know, 100, I guess, years. A lot of time. And Mm -hmm. the uh, ecosystem changed and already got adjusted to the dam. And once the dam is removed, everything is going to get changed. So you don't really know how it's going to affect, like, good or bad, the fish, the polychaete worm, and the parasite. Right, likely we'll see a lot of uh, benefit
0: beneficial impacts, but then Definitely. also... Definitely, yeah, there might be some bad. Right. Um, and maybe we should uh, specify and focus in a bit on your research specifically. How do you play a part in this larger project?
2: So while... Uh, a lot of research come uh, is on the Klamath River. I concentrate on the Deschutes River. Those rivers are very different. While Klamath River has a really um, drastic temperature changes throughout the year, Deschutes River is considered pretty stable when it comes to the temperature. But at the same time, we see a higher number of spores per liter in the Deschutes River. Hmm. And there was a big die-off of juvenile Chinook salmon. And that's how we started to pay attention to that river and what we do, and what I do, I uh, uh, use water sampling as one way to quantify the number of spores per liter, and the worm survey as another thing to explain the spatial distribution of Sishasta in the river. Um, and what I'm going to look at for my experiment and as a part of my research is whether or not uh Sea Shasta has a thir- uh, thermal optima to develop within a polykit host, and what thermal optima is is pretty much whether or not sea Shasta has temperature preference. So for example, um, I'm gonna test two temperatures, 18 degrees and 8 degrees. and we don't know the threshold for sea Shasta to develop within host. And for example, if the water temperature is lower than 10 degrees, Will it result in uh, slower development of shasta or no development at all within polychiod host And uh, compared to eighteen degrees Celsius, and uh, in the future it will be helpful to with management of the uh, how climate change because if the river temperature goes up, then uh, we'll see higher shasta densities and uh, more fish will die.
1: So this is a like like all graduate. Work. This is a very specific problem and mm-hmm. not one that people necessarily automatically know of as an mm-hmm. undergraduate. How did you come across this field of study?
2: Microbiology? Or well, we'll, we'll start zoomed
1: in or, and zoom out afterwards. So um, okay. how, how did you find out about the work in Dr. Bartholomew's lab? And then how did you get to um, studying microbiology as an undergraduate?
2: Well, I always wanted to study microbiology, so I uh, I am an international student. I came to Oregon to study microbiology, and then I always wanted to do research. So I wanted some kind of experience in the lab. So um, Bartholomew lab seemed like an interesting research that is, and I really like that uh, they work closely with uh, ODFW. So like, uh, it's not just pure research; it's also practical research. So. Um, I started off as a pretty much polychaete worm picker. So we uh, pretty much quantify how many polychaetes are in the samples and I started as that. And then I asked if I can do undergrad research in the lab and they said yes, so I did that. And then I asked if I can be a master's student in the lab and they agreed because I already did the research so they kind of knew what to expect from me and that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing right now. Mm Was your
0: undergraduate research uh, very similar to what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, it was. I was uh, also checking um, how fast uh, the release of uh, C-Shasta happens from Polykit host from different temperatures, but the scale was smaller.
0: And how did you find out about that opportunity of undergrad research? Did you
2: reach out or did you talk to certain people that gave you some advice? Oh, I was just emailing. Yeah. Yeah. So I pretty much went on the website, microbiology website and looked through all the professors and their research. And the researches that I liked the most, I just emailed them. And then uh, uh, one of the professors in our lab, Julie Alexander, and I work with her like the closest, um, she emailed back and asked if I can come and chat about what they do.
1: What is your favorite thing about living in Oregon?
2: Oh, I love the nature. I'm uh, from Moscow, Russia, and it's plain. We don't have any mountains and we don't have any ocean. And here you can pretty much go skiing and go surfing at the same day. So, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty cool.
1: Do you have a favorite spot?
2: Um, I I like, I usually go skiing to Mount Bachelor. But um, when it comes to surfing, I tried once and I failed desperately. So <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Right. Um I'm
0: wondering uh, if you had any people that were mentors um, that inspired you to continue to get a graduate degree or if this is something you just always knew you wanted to do.
2: I think for the most part it was like I knew from the beginning that I really wanted to do research just because um, I like science and I like biology and chemistry and I studied at a school and uh, I knew that if you study biology and chemistry you probably need at least masters to get like... uh, a good deep involvement into the profession in the future and but i think i really like to do undergrad research with uh julie who is a professor and uh i i wanted to work with her more as a master's student so yeah i asked her particularly like she was the first one i came up to and i asked if i can do research with her and then I talked to Jerry and we were decided on what kind of mm-hmm. uh, topic I want to study.
0: Um, I think sometimes people hate this question so you don't have to answer but do you know what you're going to do when you graduate or do you have any idea what direction you're going in?
2: I'm a master's student and uh, I pretty much went to academia and so I never had experience with working mm-hmm. and uh, I want to do an internship of some kind to see how like how I can apply my skills to the real life and like real things out there, industry and stuff. But then I want to do PhD or maybe not. If I like the industry, I will just stay there. But if not, Mm -hmm. I will proceed with PhD. Uh,
1: Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew before starting your program? Um,
2: Well, I guess it's very specific to Accelerated Master's program uh, because... Senior year of undergrad, you have to take classes and then next year is your research year. So people who do accelerated masters, I suggest them to start their research on their undergrad senior year, because when like two years are cramped into one year, it's a nightmare. But yeah, a lot of work. I mean, it's worth it, definitely worth it. I love my research. But uh, if you have opportunity to start your research during your senior year of undergrad, along with classes, do it.
1: Well, we've really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Is there any final thoughts or things that we didn't talk about that you think should be addressed?
2: I think we covered pretty much everything. (laughs) In a short time, what was like 30 minutes?
1: Yeah. So one thing that we also like to ask our guests is if you have a song or an artist that you've been listening to lately and really liking that you think that some other people should check out.
2: Well, I guess everyone knows, but I'm a big fan of classic rock, so Pink Floyd is my favorite band. And uh, I think just listen to the whole dark side of the moon. And yeah.
1: <laughs> Sounds like pretty solid advice to me. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you again for coming on the show.
0: Thank you. That was great. Thanks. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID.
0: The theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline, and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamat. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible.
2: This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Holbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. Thanks again for listening, and stay curious, my friends.